Jacob is certainly one of those interesting figures to look at. The first six chapters uh, that are given to us of Jacob's life uh, reveal that Jacob is not recorded in a positive light at all. He is uh, ultimately described as a swindler because that's what his name ultimately means. His brother calls him a cheater and a deceiver. He's taken advantage of his brother. He's uh, lied and deceived to his, his father directly to the face. His brother Esau wants to kill him, and that's why he has uh, now left his home, left his homeland, and for 20 years has lived in the, the city of Haran, far from his family, all because of the actions that he has done uh, ultimately against his, his brother. And, and that puts us now at Genesis chapter 32. You have your copies of God's word will be in Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to note now some pivotal moments that happen in Jacob's life. Um, as you come to the end of chapter 31, uh, we are reading that Jacob is going back home. It is now time for him to return to uh, his family, return to his homeland, and he's supposed to go now to Canaan. Laban has caught up with them. They have worked things out in regards to sheep and possessions. Laban has gone back to Haran, and Jacob is coming down the eastern side of, of the promised land and is going to be going to Canaan ultimately. But rather than just simply having a gentle trek home, chapter 32, God is going to move some pieces around in Jacob's life to try to move him even further in the right direction. Now you notice in chapter 32 of Genesis and in verse 1, it just simply says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. That's all you get about that. Uh, we would sort of like to know what that conversation was about, what God was telling him, what that all was intended and what was being ultimately planned. I think we can infer some things by going through this chapter that we will see what God was telling Jacob. But we're not told specifically what God was telling Jacob through these angels. But I do want you to see that an intervention here takes place. Angels of God now meet Jacob at this moment. And Jacob draws a conclusion in verse 2. And it says there, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Mahanim. And if you have a little reference in your Bible, you'll notice that it says the meaning of that is Two camps. Two camps is going to come up quite a few times uh, in this text. I think right now you have Jacob saying two camps. There's my camp and there's God's camp. We haven't seen Jacob embrace God completely yet. And we'll see that even more so as we go through chapter 32. But Jacob's still working on this idea of drawing closer to God and begins with the idea of there being two camps. And notice after this meeting, verse 3 says, So Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. Now, that might seem insignificant until you get a sense of the map of why this is completely out of the way. As you look at the screen, you would have Jacob coming down the eastern side of the Jordan River. And that's a main thoroughfare, a main road. But I want you to note, if you're going to know in your Bibles where the promised land of Canaan is, that would be to the left side of the Dead Sea. Going to Edom is not on the way to Canaan. 
at all. <laughs> it is not in the process. And so it is interesting to have the statement that here is Jacob. He's on the way to Canaan from Haran and then suddenly is sending messengers to Edom. Well, Edom is way past Canaan on the wrong side and far to the south. So you have, I think, something interesting beginning to happen here that though we are not told exactly what God told Jacob, you're implied here by verse three that now suddenly Jacob thinks he needs to go talk to Esau. Now, we've seen what happened in our last lesson a couple of weeks ago about how things left off. The last thing Esau told Jacob was, I'm going to kill you. So I don't think that Jacob's first idea was, hey, I'd really like to go see Esau. Last thing he's seen about that is that is not a good situation. And as we read further in chapter 32, that's exactly what Jacob thinks, is that Esau wants to kill him. So why is Jacob going to Edom? And why is he trying to meet Esau? And why is he sending messengers? Why is this whole scene beginning to unfold the way that it is? And I think the idea here that's being put before us is that we have a reasonable conclusion that God has told Jacob he needs to go meet with Esau. Why else would Jacob do that? He's avoided him for 20 years. What's what's another few years? And why go out of your way? It's not like you have to go through Edom to be able to get to Canaan. But we have seen a setup here is that God is going to make him reconcile with Esau and clear the air and get that dealt with, which is what how chapter 31 ended in regards to Laban. Laban and Jacob also had a conflict, and there was a struggle and a striving between them. And before Jacob can go any further to go to the promised land, to go settle in Canaan, that needed to be resolved. And now the same thing is happening here. That I think we're getting a picture from God that before Jacob can settle in the promised land and be the head of the family, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, there are some other things that still need to be dealt with. And that is a very important message that God says over and over again in the scriptures. We really shouldn't be surprised that Jacob having this fallout with his brother is not acceptable to God and needs to be dealt with. And there needs to be a solution. and There needs to be reconciliation. I threw a few passages on the screen as a reminder of some of the things that the, the scriptures tell us, like how the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that as much as depends on us, we're supposed to live peaceably with all people. Here's God putting it on us. As much as we can at all bring about peace to every relationship we're in, we're supposed to do that. Or as Jesus would put it in a very succinct way in the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. That is our role, that is our function, that we are supposed to do that because the peacemakers will be called children of God. And one of the events and stories that Jesus tells really drives that home in Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, where you might remember Jesus talks about, here you are and you're about to go to the altar with your gift for worship to God. And you remember that someone has something against you. And Jesus says, here's what you're supposed to do. Stop what you're doing. Leave the gift right there. Go reconcile and then come back to worship and offer your offering before God. That's how important it is to God 
that we would be peacemakers and reconcile with those who have something against us. Well, there is a big problem between Jacob and Esau that needs to be dealt with. And now Jacob is going to deal with that problem. And I want you to see the the way that Jacob goes about working this out. And it says there in verse 3 that Jacob sends messengers and he's going to send these messengers ahead of him and the instructions are given in verse 4. Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have donkeys and oxen and flocks and male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. So I want you to get a sense that Jacob does not think that time heals all wounds. Hey, it's been 20 years. It's going to be a great reunion. Look, really looking forward to seeing Esau. No, what you see Jacob doing is saying, we need to try to lay some groundwork. In fact, you're told in in, in verse uh, 7 that Jacob is greatly afraid and distressed. This is not something he is walking into thinking this is going to go really well. And you will notice two things about what Jacob sets up and what he's doing. You'll notice that he instructs his messengers and says, my Lord... Master Esau and your servant Jacob and is going to send all of these gifts ahead of him trying to kind of put the defenses down. Well, is it going to work? Well, notice what happens in verse six. He sends the messengers in verse six. It says, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And wouldn't you wish that it just said, and everything's all good. And he's coming to meet you, and there's 400 men with him. (laughs) Uh, That looks like an army's coming. Why is my brother coming to me in the middle of this wilderness with 400 men? And you might wonder if maybe that is why Esau's coming with 400 men. I mean, we, we, we know that Esau is certainly of a different cut of cloth. We studied him not too long ago as well, who has been cut off from the promises of God. We don't know Esau's motivation. It's not told to us if this is a positive or a negative of the reason why he would bring 400 men with him. But it is certainly interpreted by Jacob as a negative. You will notice in verse 7 Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided his people who were with him, his flocks, his herds, his camels, into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Does he think the 400 men are going to do him well? (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, He thinks this is bad news. He's doing what God says. I'm trying to reconcile with my brother, but he's coming at me with 400 men. His first thought is, this is trouble. Divide everything that he has for his possessions into two camps. And that way, if Esau attacks with these 400 men, maybe one of his groups will be able to escape with their lives. So here's a, I think, an interesting question to think about with this. So what do you do? When your enemy appears to have interest, has no interest in reconciliation, but vengeance. (laughs) 
You know, you think about Jacob's circumstance at this moment. And here you are trying to provoke reconciliation. I'm going to send my messengers ahead. I'm going to call in my master and I'm your servant and I'm sorry. And here's my gifts and have some animals. I mean, the listing of these animals, this is extravagant. This is extraordinary amount of money that is being shoved forward. This is a big, I'm sorry, as he's putting all of this forward. And it doesn't look like Esau's going to have anything to do with it. The messengers just come back and say, 400 guys are coming with him. What are you going to do? I want you to notice that Jacob does not run. That's what he did 20 years ago. Rather, look at verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. Just pause there a second. The reason he's going to Canaan is God told him to. That you told me to go back to my kindred and go back to my land. Verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Notice how he puts this when he went for it, ran for his life. When his mother said, you got to get out of here because your brother's going to kill you. Notice how much he said he had in possessions. He had a stick. I went left with my staff, but he says, now you have been faithful to me. You've shown steadfast love to me. And now I have so much wealth, so many possessions. You've cared for me so well that I can even take all of my things and divide them into two camps. Notice this two camp thing keeps playing out in this. So now here's the prayer. Verse 11. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. (laughs) Notice the prayer. You said you were going to take care of me. We read that a couple of weeks ago. Now, God promised I'll take care of you. It's the whole scene of the staircase to heaven with, with the angels going up and down on it. God making a promise to Jacob. And remember, Jacob responded, if you will do as you said, then you will be my God. Well, notice now Jacob is leaning into that right here and saying, God, you said that you were going to take care of me and you were going to bless me and and through me, the nations are going to be blessed. The whole promise to Abraham and Isaac is going to run through me. So I'm trusting that you're going to take care of me because I think Esau's coming to kill me. (laughs) And I think it's really amazing to see the picture here of Jacob humbling himself at this moment. That God has moved him into the space that he would be humbled and be able to depend truly on the Lord at this moment. And verses 13 through 21 go about describing the restitution and appeasement that Jacob is going to try to bring about. After ending that prayer, you're told in verse 13 that he stays the night there and he gets all of the gifts ready. And 
This listing is staggering. Verse 14, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 lambs and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. It's like, I'm just going to send everything to Esau all the more now. He's prayed to God and he has the gifts ready. Verse 16, he hands them over to the servants. Verse 16, he tells them, you go on ahead of me, put a space between them. You can imagine the picture as they approach uh, Esau is just going to be wave upon wave of animals and messengers and gifts. He's just going to get inundated by all of this. And Jacob is going to stay at the very back and he's going to be last, hoping to kind of melt his heart. In fact, you will notice that that is exactly what he says in verse 20. He says, you shall say, here's telling the servant what to tell Esau. Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face and perhaps he will accept me. He's just trying to wear him down at this point. Big pictures of I'm sorry. (laughs) Big pictures of restitution. Big pictures of appeasement. Let me melt your heart with all of these gifts. Now, something interesting happens with that. You kind of think, okay, next paragraph is going to be, all right, let's see how it all plays out. But it's God's second intervention instead. Notice in verse 22 now. The same night, Jacob arose, he took his two wives, two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. So I just want you to visualize, he's put all the possessions in front, he has all the servants out front, he's got the messengers out front, they're all making their way, wave by wave, to go meet Esau. Jacob's going the other direction with his wives, his children, and what final possessions that he treasures most. He crosses the, the brook, and he's over on the other side. He puts them over there, and then it says there in verse 24, he puts himself by himself alone. Because imagine, we're just, if he's going to come for me, then I'm going to get my wives and kids. They're going to be over there, and he can just come for me. And I want you to notice what happens in verse 24. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. I just want you to imagine in the middle of the night in the pitch of darkness that you're there by yourself and suddenly some man comes up to you and just starts wrestling with you. I kind of have to think he probably thought Esau had got him. I mean, that just seems to be the most likely outcome of suddenly some guy jumps you in the middle of the night and all night long you are wrestling and struggling back and forth. And I want you to notice in verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. I mean, ow. And just imagine the struggle going all night long and it doesn't seem like there's going to be a winner and the man just finally touches his hip and boom, it's out of socket. But you'll notice in verse 26, the man says, let me go for the day is broken. I think I would have been like, you got it, man. That I'm, I'm, I'm dying here in my hip. But notice Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's got an awareness that there's something more happening here. Obviously, this isn't Esau. 
After the struggle and after the hip getting knocked out of joint, he realizes he has someone greater than himself. And so he says, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. And I want you to notice how this all plays out. So verse 27, he asks him, what is your name? Now, remember, names mean things. So he says, my name is cheater, swindler, heel catcher, right? That's what his name means. My name is Jacob. I'm the swindler. And notice what he does. Verse 28, he says, your name shall no longer be called swindler, but Israel. He goes from cheater to struggles with God. And notice the reason why. Verse 28. Because you have struggled with God and with people and have prevailed. I want you to think about up to this point in Jacob's life, I think the perfect word to summarize Jacob's life is struggle. He has struggled with his brother. He has struggled with his father. He has struggled with his uncle Laban. And now he understands he has struggled with God himself at this moment. In fact, you will notice that he understands in verse 29, Jacob said, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you asked for my name? And there he blessed him. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. His whole life has been a struggle, struggling against humans, struggled with brothers, struggled with parents, struggled with uncles, and now even struggling with God. And this wrestling moment, the name change is to signify that this is supposed to be the life pivot now for Jacob's life. You're not going to be struggling anymore because you're not the swindler cheater. You're the one who struggles with God and people and prevails. And if you think about all those scenes, he has prevailed in each of them. He's prevailed in his struggle against his brother. He's prevailed in his struggle with his father. He's prevailed in his struggle with his uncle. And he's even prevailed in his struggle with God. Now, that, I think, is one of the most fascinating things to think about for a minute. Why has Jacob prevailed when he struggled with God? I think this is a question that we miss when we think about this scene. This is an angel of God. That's what the book of Hosea turns around and calls us. He's wrestling with God. He even says that I have seen God face to face and has been delivered clearly The one he has wrestled with is stronger because they've wrestled all night and it's almost finally like, okay, daybreak has come. It's time to put an end to this. Wham. I'm going to pop his socket. That's going to put an end to this, right? He's stronger physically and obviously his superior because he asked for a blessing. Bless, give me a blessing. He knows that he's, he's somebody greater than him. So why has Jacob prevailed in his struggle with God you think God could have won that wrestling match you think an angel of the Lord could win if he wanted to I think that's the whole point right here Jacob overcome because God let him 
this whole wrestling match would have been over in one second. You know, have you ever done that? If you have kids, you know, you, you if you, you're dad and you have your kid, you're like, we're gonna, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to have some arm wrestling. And, you know, you let your kid think they're getting somewhere like, oh, yeah, yeah, you really got me. And then you kind of go, wham, I'll see. You know, <laughs> God can do that with Jacob at any moment. And you're wrestling with God. You think you're actually getting somewhere? If God wants to just say, okay, we're done, we're done. And he even proves it by putting his hip out of socket to show that he's the greater one. And yet Jacob won't let go. And the whole point is to communicate to Jacob, you want to know why you've prevailed? It's because of God. You've prevailed over your brother because of me. Over your father because of me. Over your uncle because of me. And you have even struggled with God and prevailed because I have let you do that. I think one of the big points that's immediately rising up out of the scene is this important teaching to Jacob that the scriptures are constantly driving at with us is you don't overcome because of you, but you overcome because of God. And he's communicating that to Jacob right here. This is an important moment in in Jacob's life. The reason you left home with nothing and you now have a birthright and a blessing and possessions and wealth and are coming back to the land of Canaan with the promises of God is because of God, not because of you. Not because you were such a good swindler, not because you were a great cheater, not because you're such a heel grabber that you were able to get your way and pull one over. The reason you are at where you're at is because God has put you there in that moment. The reason you're overcoming is because God is giving you that so that you may overcome. And one of the things that's coming out of that picture in this whole struggle that he's gone through is Despite the hardships, despite the struggles, despite him still calling God, the God of his father, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob won't let go of God. And he'd be impressed by that. For 20 years, he's been away from home. For 20 years, his life has been a struggle. And for 20 years, he's been on the receiving end of a lot of things that he had done to his own family, that his uncle had done to him. And yet, in spite of that, Jacob would not let go of God. And you see that visualized in the struggle, in this wrestling match. And one of the things that I want us to think about in regards to Jacob's life that is true of all of the people of God is God doesn't have a problem with us struggling with him as long as you don't let go of him. Jacob's wrestling and struggling and God's all right with that. He even lets him win. (laughs) You've overcome because you won't let go. I want you to think about that in the life of Joseph. How Joseph had to wrestle with what was God doing in his life. You start off with this great dream of you're going to be great and your whole family is going to bow down to you. And everything just goes sideways after that. What is God doing? And Joseph has to wrestle with that throughout his life. Job had to struggle with God. 
about what God was doing with him through his suffering and through his trials. I love how Habakkuk struggles with God. What a great book on how to struggle with God. Here is Habakkuk repeatedly praying, I don't understand what you're doing. (laughs) That's the whole message that's repeated twice over. We are a wicked nation. God, you need to do something about that. Why aren't you doing something? And God says, okay, I'll do something. I'll raise up the Babylonians and they will judge your people. Then Habakkuk goes, wait a minute. They're worse than us. That doesn't make any sense either. But you have to love how chapter one ends where you have Habakkuk saying, I will wait for the Lord to reprove me. I'm wrestling through this and trying to figure out what God is doing, but I'm not letting go of God. Even Peter had to struggle with God, didn't he? And trying to understand what's going on. Man, I mean, what great faith to step out of a boat and start walking on water and then turn around and sink. He's wrestling with God. Over and over again, we see pictures that we are able to go through the struggle and that's okay. But don't let go of him. That you're not going to understand what's going on. And you're going to be faced with difficulties. And you're going to be faced with hardships. But don't let go of God in the midst of that. And one more picture that I want you to see in, in terms of how, how this ends. You'll notice in verse 31. That the sun rose up on Jacob as he passed through Penuel. And I want you to notice it says, limping because of his hip. What a visual right here. After his wrestling with God, now you can just imagine Jacob kind of dragging that leg along because his hip is out of joint. And now he's walking with a limp as he's going to make his way now to be able to encounter his brother Esau. And the whole picture here is God trying to communicate to Jacob that you don't need to struggle with God any longer, but that you can trust him for the next hardship. Let's let's back out of the scene for a minute and think about how all of this started. He is going to meet his brother Esau. And the last time they spoke, Esau wanted to kill him. He's tried to smooth the wheels and put the gifts in front of him and send the messengers and call him master and I'm your servant. But Esau's coming with 400 men and Jacob is terrified that this is the end. And he's prayed to God, God, you you said you would be with me and you would help me. And what's God's answer? You've struggled and you've overcome in the past. And here's your next struggle, and you're going to overcome again because I'm with you. That's the whole message of what's happening. And what's great about this scene is now Jacob has a limp to remember it. (laughs) Now he has a limp to remember. You just imagine every step he takes is going to remind him, oh, yeah, (laughs) I can trust God because he said he would cause me to overcome. And I have this now physical thing to remind me that he said, I am going to struggle and be victorious and overcome because God is ultimately with me. Let me ask you a question. How many times does God touch our lives and pick your word, wreck your life, dislocate your life, throw your life upside down, spin it backward, throw it every which way, but the way you thought it would go. So that you'd remember to hold on to him. You know, 
God puts these trials right here so that we will remember to hold on to him and to not let go of him. And that's what Jacob is experiencing right here is a physical reminder. I'm with you. Don't let go of me. And I hope that you will think about if God is wrestling with you to not let go. One of our unfortunate natural reactions to struggle and trials and hardships is to let go of God. Sometimes it's the first thing we do. And what God is trying to do in the wrestling match is say, don't let go. Don't let up. Don't give up. And if you will not let go of him, he will make you strong. And he'll allow you to overcome. Or maybe we can be reminded of how the Apostle Paul said it. After he talked about all of his trials and he talked about his thorn in the flesh, he just simply said this. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. God had to make Jacob weak so that he could turn around and depend upon the Lord for not only this next encounter that he was going to have with his brother that he was terrified about going through, but all the other difficulties and challenges that Jacob's going to face in his life so that he could be what God wanted him to be. Jacob had been made weak so that he could be strong in the Lord. And you will wrestle with God. And he will make you weak. But don't let go of him so that he can make you strong as you hang on with all your might. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a picture of how you taught your servant Jacob. How in the midst of his fear, in the midst of not wanting to do what he knew he needed to do, you showed him that he could trust you. You reminded him that we can wrestle with you and have a struggle with you, but to not let go. Lord, there's probably a lot of things that each of us can think about in our lives where we have struggled, where we have had the hardship and the difficulty. And Lord, life has been put out of joint and things did not go the way we wanted or the way we planned. Lord, I pray that first we would look back to those moments and see how you were with us every step of the way. That in the midst of that hardship that you were wrestling with us spiritually. And Lord, I pray that those times that you have brought us through, how you have caused us to overcome our hardships, our trials and our pain, that that would cause us to be all the more courageous to never let go of you. Lord, I pray that the various pains and hurts and scars that we have in our lives, 
will only be powerful reminders of how you are with us every step of the way and how we know that we can overcome if we will hold on to you with all of our heart. Lord, forgive us for when we have questioned you. Forgive us for when we have let go of you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater devotion and a greater faith to hold on to you not only now, but even in whatever the next difficulty in our life may be. Lord, help us to see you in our difficulties. Help us to see that you are right there with us in the struggle and that you have promised that we would overcome if we will not grow weary or lose heart. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song. I invite you to come to the Lord. What a picture of faith that is given to us in, in, in Jacob's life. That if you can hang on to him through the struggle, that he'll carry you through the difficulty. And if you were going through something in your life and you were looking for more help than that, we would love to help you in that. If you have more questions about God and what he's doing in your life and in the world, we're here to help you with that as well. And we invite you to come to Jesus tonight. Turn away from sin, to follow him faithfully with all of your heart, to walk with him through the ups and the downs. Because he promises he will take you through and bring you all the way home. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?